0: Welcome to the reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for Friday, January 5th, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Frances, and you're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Um, On the front page of the Nonpareil today, story that's on the front page of every Iowa paper and um, many papers across the country, large headline, middle schooler killed in shooting. Perry High School five others hurt suspect dead and this is from the Associated Press and there's a photo showing um, people standing outside the school or outside the McCurry community building Um, people are talking people are hugging Um, and then another photo shows a man and children the man has um, one two three four children with him and they're all holding hands As they leave the McCreary Community Building after being reunited following a shooting at Perry High School. And the article reads, a 17-year-old opened fire at a small-town Iowa high school on the first day of school after the winter break, killing a sixth grader and wounding five others Thursday as students barricaded in offices, ducked into classrooms, and fled in panic. The suspect, a student at the school in Perry, died of what investigators believe is a self-inflicted gunshot wound, an Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation official said. Authorities said one of the five people wounded was an administrator, later identified as Perry High School principal Dan Marburger by an Eastern Iowa school district where he graduated from high school. Authorities identified the shooter as Dylan Butler, age 17, and provided no information about a possible motive. Perry has about 8,000 residents it, and is about 40 miles northwest of Des Moines, on the edge of the state capital's metro area. It's home to a large pork processing plant and low-slung, single-story homes spread among trees, now shorn of their leaves by winter. The high school and middle school are connected, sitting on the east edge of town. Authorities said the shooter had a pump-action shotgun and a small-caliber handgun. Mitch. Mort Vett, that's M-O-R-T-V-E-D-T, the State Investigation Division's assistant director, said during a news conference that authorities found a, quote, pretty rudimentary, unquote, improvised explosive device and rendered it safe. The suspect's motive is being investigated, and authorities are looking into a number of social media posts he made around the time of the shooting. All of the shootings occurred inside the high school. But he said that other students from other grades may have been there for a breakfast program. Perry High School senior Ava Augustus said she was awaiting a counselor in a school uh, office when she heard three shots. Unable to flee through a small window, she and others barricaded the door and were ready to throw things, if necessary. Quote, and then we hear, he's down, you can go out, Augustus said through tears. And I run, and you can just see glass everywhere, blood on the floor. I get to my car, and they're taking a girl out of the auditorium who had been shot in her leg. Unquote. Three gunshot victims were taken by ambulance to Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines, a spokesman said. Some other patients were transported to a second hospital in Des Moines, a spokesperson for Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center confirmed, declining to comment on the number of patients or their statuses. Mortvet said one person was in critical condition, but the injuries did not appear to be life-threatening. The other victims were stable, he said. Vigils were planned Thursday evening at a park and at a local church. A post on the high school's Facebook page said it would be closed Friday, with counseling services being made available to students and faculty and others in the community. Governor Kim Reynolds ordered all flags in Iowa to be lowered to Half staff immediately Thursday and to remain at half staff until sunset Sunday in support of the community and the school's students, families, and teachers. Quote, This senseless tragedy has shaken our entire state to its core, Reynolds said during a news conference. In Washington, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland was briefed on the shooting. FBI agents from the Omaha Des Moines office are assisting with the investigation, led by the Iowa. Division of Criminal Investigation. The shooting occurred in the backdrop of Iowa's looming First in the Nation presidential caucuses. GOP candidate Vivek Ramaswamy had a campaign event scheduled in Perry at about at 9 AM, about one and a half miles from the high school, but he canceled it in order to hold a prayer, an intimate discussion with area residents. Mass shootings across the U.S. Have long brought calls for stricter gun laws from gun safety advocates, and Thursdays did within hours. But that idea has been a non-starter for many Republicans, particularly in rural GOP-leaning states like Iowa. As of January or July 2021, Iowa does not require a permit to purchase a handgun or carry a firearm in public though it mandates a background check for a person buying a handgun without a permit. Ramaswamy said the shooting is a sign of a, quote, psychological sickness in the country. In Des Moines, GOP rival and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that gun violence, quote, is more of a local and state issue. In an interview with the Des Moines Register and NBC News, the high school in Perry is part of the 1,785-student Perry Community School District. The town is more diverse than Iowa as a whole. Census figures show that 31% of the residents there are Hispanic, compared to less than 7% for the state overall. Those figures also show that nearly 19% of the town's residents were born outside the U.S. Authorities said an active shooter was reported at 7.37 a.m. Thursday. Officers arrived within minutes. Emergency vehicles surrounded the middle and high school quote, officers immediately attempted to locate the source of the threat and quickly found what appeared to be the shooter with a self-inflicted gunshot wound, Mortvet said. Xander Shelley, age 15, was in a hallway when he heard gunshots and dashed into a classroom, according to his father, Kevin Shelley. Xander was grazed twice and hid in the classroom before texting his father at 7.36 a.m., Kevin Shelley, who drives a garbage truck, told his boss he had to run. It was the most scared I've ever been in my entire life, he said. He later posted a photo on Facebook of his son being treated at the Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines and said the boy was feeling fine. He added, I'm still shaking, and though I don't show it, I am not okay. Rachel Cares, that's K-A-R-E-S, an 18-year-old senior, was wrapping up jazz band practice when she and her bandmates heard what she described as four gunshots, spaced apart. We all just jumped, she said. My band teacher looked at us and yelled, run, so we ran. She and many others from the school ran out past the football field as she heard people yelling, get out, get out. She said she heard additional shots as she ran, but she didn't know how many. She was more concerned about getting home to her three-year-old son. At that moment, I didn't care about anything except getting out, she said. And I'll tell our listeners that the uh, the shooter, um, Dylan Butler, age 17, just because this kind of always comes up, pictures of him show that he is a, a young white male. And the other story from the front page, Woodbine Community School District implementing AI gun detection system. A shooting at Perry High School on Thursday provided a sobering reminder of the threat of gun violence in schools. The attack in the Dallas County School left a 6th grader dead along with a the 17-year-old suspect who was believed to have died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. School districts around Iowa and across the nation have taken precautions, put plans into place, and coordinated with local law enforcement about how to handle a possible shooter in the buildings. One Southwest Iowa school district was already in the process of implementing a technological solution aimed at reducing the risk of a shooting incident. The new security system in the Woodbine Community School District will be in place when students and teachers head back to class. Quote, It goes live next week, said Superintendent Justin Wagner, as he lavished praise on the new system called Zero Eyes. The artificial intelligence system is designed to use video feeds to detect guns while providing what the company calls a, quote, intelligent situational awareness platform, unquote, to school officials. Quote, this is an aggressive platform in keeping students and staff safe, Wagner said Thursday morning. And then it shows a photo of a computer monitor with multiple uh, views showing the AI system identifying a gun in one of the shots. The copy continues, Wagner said Woodbine has not had anyone trying to bring guns onto school grounds. Instead, the 0 Eye system is being deployed as a proactive measure to mitigate the risk of such threats. Quote, We don't want to wait until something happens and that it might be too late, Wagner said. This is an aggressive, proactive step. This is being 100% proactive. We are deeply committed to the safety and security of our students and staff. Wagner said, The Zero Eyes system can identify a gun being brandished and alert both school officials and first responders within seconds, potentially allowing law enforcement to engage with a school shooter sooner. It cuts down on reaction time, and seconds can save lives, Wagner said. We're trying to do whatever we can. The system works by having the AI software identify when a gun is visible on campus. The system sends images to an operations center staffed 24-7 by specially trained veterans of the U.S. military and law enforcement agencies. Those experts verify if a threat is legitimate, not the AI system, by determining if the image is a firearm or a toy gun, water gun, or similar object. If there is a threat, an alert is dispatched, including a visual description, gun type, and last known location to both the school and first response. The Zero Eyes system is intended to go from a gun being spotted to an alert within three to five seconds. We don't want a lockdown if it is not an illegally brandished gun, Wagner said. This would eliminate an unnecessary disruption of a false positive. Zero Eyes was founded by military special forces and technology experts, according to a company news release. Mike Lahiff, co-founder and CEO said in the release that the Zero Eyes AI gun detection system integrates with existing digital security cameras to deliver clarity among chaos ultimately saving lives the company touts that the US Department of Homeland Security has recognized Zero Eyes as a promising anti-terrorism technology designating it for developmental testing and evaluation quote we're proud to see Woodbine Community Schools adopt our AI gun detection technology, have said. We see it as our duty to help create a safer learning environment for children, unquote. Woodbine had to upgrade its security system, including cameras, to implement zero eyes. Wagner said former US Navy Special Forces members with zero eyes went through a system check last week at the rural Harrison County School District. The district has a five-year contract with the Philadelphia-based company. The system is one of several improvements that it is making for safety and security, Wagner said. Last March, Woodbine voters approved a $119,000 general obligation bond for various school safety improvement measures. Quote, this is one of our series of safety enhancements funded by those bond proceeds, Wagner said. This is new to this area, as schools nationwide are looking at ways to identify gun detection. It is unique, he said. And those are the only local stories in the nonpareil today. Um, we'll shift over to page three, nation and world. In the Digest, U.S. airstrike in Iraq kills militia commander, Dateline Baghdad. A U.S. airstrike on the headquarters of an Iraq-backed militia in central Baghdad killed a high-ranking militia commander Thursday, militia officials said. The strike comes amid fears that the Israel-Hamas war could spread in the region. It also coincides with a push by Iraqi officials for U.S.-led coalition forces to leave the country. The Popular Mobilization Force, or PMF, a coalition of militias that is normally under the control of the Iraqi military, announced that its deputy head of operations in Baghdad, Abu Takwa, was killed as a result of brutal American aggression. A U.S. defense official who spoke on condition of anonymity said Abu Takwa was targeted because he was actively involved in attacks on U.S. personnel. Another brief, Houthis launched drone toward Red Sea ships. An armed unmanned surface vessel launched from Houthi-controlled Yemen got within a couple of miles of U.S. Navy and commercial vessels in the Red Sea before detonating on Thursday, just hours after the White House and a host of partner nations issued a final warning to the Iran-backed militia group to cease the attacks or face potential military action. Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, head of the U.S. Navy operations in the Middle East, said it was the first time the Houthis had used an unmanned surface vessel or USV, since their harassment of commercial ships in the Red Sea began after the outbreak of the Israel-Hamas war. They have, have, however, used them in the past. Pentagon spokesman Major General Pat Ryder would not say whether any military action would follow Thursday's launch of the sea drone. And then in the briefly, Proud Boys. Christopher Worrell, age 52, a member of the Proud Boys extremist group, who went on the run after his conviction in the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol, and then allegedly faked a drug overdose after he was caught, was sentenced on Thursday to 10 years in prison. Labor Issue SpaceX sued a U.S. labor agency Thursday, a day after the agency accused the company of creating an impression that worker activities were under surveillance. And unlawfully firing employees who penned a letter critical of CEO Elon Musk. Threats: Michael Shapiro, age 72, of Green Acres, Florida, was arrested Wednesday. Federal prosecutors said he threatened to kill U.S. Representative Eric Swalwell and his children in voicemails left in left at the California Democrats' Washington office last night. Bomb scares: Government buildings in several states were evacuated Thursday after bomb threats, causing disruptions for a second day in a row in some places. No explosives were found and the buildings were reopened to the public. Illinois. Five voters filed a petition Thursday seeking to bar former President Donald Trump from the Illinois Republican primary election ballot in March, claiming he is ineligible to hold office because he encouraged and did little to stop the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol podcasters neo-nazi podcaster christopher gibbons age 40 who called for the deaths of prince harry and his young son was sentenced to eight years in prison thursday and his co-host tyrone Patton walsh age 34 was sentenced to seven years in prison the judge in london called them quote dedicated and unapologetic white supremacists more national news Trump team pushes to hold Smith in contempt. At issue are actions that followed judge's order pausing election case. This is from the Associated Press. Lawyers for former President Donald Trump pushed Thursday to have special counsel Jack Smith's team held in contempt, saying the prosecutors took steps to advance the 2020 election interference case against him in violation of a judge's order last month that put the case on hold. Citing, quote, outrageous conduct, unquote, the Republican presidential candidates' attorneys told U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin in Washington, D.C. that she should consider holding Smith and two of his prosecutors in contempt for turning over to the defense thousands of pages of evidence and an exhibit list and for filing a motion that they said teams with partisan rhetoric and false claims. Trump appealed a ruling that rejected his claims that he is immune from prosecution. And Chutkin's December 13 order said the appeal quote, automatically stays any further proceedings that would move this case toward trial or impose additional burdens of litigation on Trump unquote. Actually, that wasn't a quote. I don't know. It doesn't have unquote anyway. However, the order does not appear to explicitly bar the filing of court papers or prohibit prosecutors from providing information to the defense next article is group claims bombs dateline iran dubai the islamic state group claimed responsibility thursday for two suicide bombings targeting a commemoration for an Iranian general slain in a 2020 U.S. drone strike. The worst militant attack to strike Iran in decades as the wider Middle East remains on edge. Experts who follow the group confirmed that the statement circulated online among jihadists came from the extremists, who likely hoped to take advantage of the chaos gripping the region amid Israel's war on Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken headed to the region for the fourth time in three months on a tour expected to focus largely on easing resurgent fears that the Israel Hamas war could erupt into broader conflict. With international criticism of Israel's operations in Gaza mounting, growing U.S. concerns about the endgame and more immediate worries about a recent explosion and attacks in the Red Sea. Lebanon, Iran, and Iraq, Blinken will have a packed and difficult agenda. We don't expect every conversation on this trip to be easy, said State Department spokesman Matthew Miller. There are obviously tough issues facing the region and difficult choices ahead. But the Secretary believes it is the responsibility of the United States of America to lead diplomatic efforts to tackle those challenges head-on, and he's prepared to do that in the days to come. Lincoln was scheduled to leave late Thursday on his latest extended Mideast tour, which will take him to Turkey, Greece, Jordan, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Israel, the West Bank, and Egypt. Wednesday's attack in Kerman, Iran, killed at least 84 people and wounded an additional 284. It targeted a ceremony honoring Revolutionary Guard General Qasem Soleimani, held as an icon by supporters of the country's theocracy and viewed by the U.S. military as a deadly foe who aided militants who killed American troops in Iraq. The Islamic State group likely hoped to see Iran strike at Israel, widening its war on Hamas into a regional conflict that Islamic State could potentially take advantage of, said Aaron Zellin, who is a senior fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy Quote, "this falls under the modus operandi of is especially since it was such a mass casualty attack they are kind of like the joker they want to see the world burn they don't care how it happens as long as it benefits them" Unquote. more middle east news israel lays out vague plan for gaza military military strike flattens home killing a dozen people mostly children this is Dateline uh, Rafa in the Gaza Strip. Israel's defense minister on Thursday laid out his vision for the next phase of war of the war in Gaza, describing how Israeli forces would shift to an apparently scaled-down new combat approach in northern Gaza while continuing to fight Hamas in the south of the territory for as long as necessary. Ahead of a visit by the U.S. Secretary of State, Yoav Gallant, that's G-A-L-L-A-N-T, also outlined a proposal for how Gaza would be run once Hamas is defeated, with Israel keeping security control, while an undefined Israeli-guided Palestinian body runs day-to-day administration, and the U.S. and other countries oversee rebuilding. Israel is under heavy international pressure to spell out a post-war vision but so far has not done so. The United States has pressed Israel to shift to lower-intensity military operations in Gaza that more precisely target Hamas after nearly three devastating months of bombardment and ground assaults. The vagueness of many of Gallant's pr- provisions made it difficult to assess how much they mesh with, US call- with the U.S. calls. An Israeli strike Thursday flattened a home in Muwasi, a small rural strip on Gaza's southern coastline that Israel Israel's military previously had declared a safe zone. The blast killed at least 12 people, Palestinian hospital officials said. The dead included a man and his wife, seven of their children, and three other children, ranging in age from 5 to 14, according to a list of the dead who arrived at Nasser Hospital in nearby Khan Yunis. There was no immediate response from Israel's military. Israel's campaign in Gaza has killed more than 22,400 people, more than two-thirds of them women and children, according to the health ministry in the Hamas-run territory. The ministry's count does not differentiate between civilians and combatants. Israel vowed to destroy Hamas after its October 7 attack. Much of northern Gaza, which troops invaded two months ago, is flattened beyond recognition. Some 85% of Gaza's 2.3 million people have been driven from their homes and squeezed into small slivers of the territory. Israel's siege of the territory has caused a humanitarian crisis, with a quarter of the population starving because not enough supplies are entering, according to the United Nations. Next story, national news. Russia and Ukraine trade long-range attacks. Russia's defense ministry said Thursday, its air defenses shot down 10 Ukrainian air-launched missiles over Crimea and 10 over the Russian city of Belgorod, as both sides in the war pounded each other with long-range aerial strikes while fighting on the front line, is largely deadlocked. The White House, meanwhile, said U.S. intelligence officials, determined that Moscow acquired ballistic missiles from North Korea and fired at least one of them into Ukraine on December 30th. It's also seeking close-range ballistic missiles from Iran, Washington said. One person was wounded by the falling debris of a downed aerial target in Sevastopol. That's a major port and the largest city on the Russia-annexed Crimean Peninsula, said Regional Governor Mikhail Razvazhayev. In Washington, U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said recently declassified intelligence found that North Korea provided Russia with ballistic missile launchers and several ballistic missiles. Kirby said a Russia-Iran deal had not been completed. But, he said, the U.S. is, quote, concerned that Russia negotiations to acquire close-range ballistic missiles from Iran are actively advancing, unquote. Here's the next story. New year, new laws. States enact measures on firearms, minimum wages, and even fuzzy dice. This is from the Associated Press. Fuzzy dice are finally free to dangle in Illinois. As of Monday... Police there no longer are allowed to pull over motorists solely because they have something hanging from the rearview mirror or uh, the rearview mirror of the windshield. That means air fresheners, parking placards, and yes, even those dice are fair game to hang. The revised Illinois windshield rule is one of hundreds of new laws that took effect with the new year in states across the U.S. While some might seem a little pedestrian, Others have real practical effects or touch on controversial issues, such as restrictions on weapons and medical treatments for transgender people. Here is a rundown of some of the new state laws that took effect on January 1st. Guns and Pornography A Minnesota law allows authorities to ask courts for, quote, extreme risk protection orders to temporarily take guns from people deemed to be An imminent threat to others or themselves. Minnesota is at least the 20th state with such a red flag law. Colorado becomes one of a dozen states banning so-called ghost guns. The new law prohibits firearms that are assembled at home or 3d printed without serial numbers. Practices that have allowed owners to evade background checks. Several state laws Delve into accessible, acceptable rather online activities. A new Connecticut law requires online dating operators to adopt policies for handling harassment uh, reports by or between users. A North Carolina law requires pornographic website operators to confirm viewers are at least 18 years old by using a commercially available database. This law lets parents sue companies if their children were allowed to access the pornography. Another new Illinois law allows lawsuits from victims of deep fake pornography in which videos or images are manipulated without their consent. LGBTQ plus issues. Over the past few years, there has been a major push by conservatives to restrict access to gender affirming treatments for transgender minors. Bans are on the books in 22 states, including some where judges paused enforcement as they consider challenges to the policies. New bans on access for minors to puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and surgery, which is rare, took effect January 1st in Idaho, Louisiana, and West Virginia. The West Virginia law contains an exception. Teens can still access treatment with parental consent and a diagnosis of severe gender gender dysphoria from two doctors. While many Republican-led legislatures have imposed restrictions, many Democrat-dominated states have responded with transgender protections. A new law in Hawaii requires new marriage certificates to be issued to people who request to change how their sex is listed. The state is also replacing gender-specific terms in state law. In Colorado, uh, new buildings wholly or partly owned by government entities are required to have on every floor where there are any public restrooms at least one that does not specify the gender of the users. The conservative push on LGBTQ plus policies also has come with efforts to keep certain books out of school and public libraries. A new Indiana law makes it easier for parents and others to challenge books in school libraries. By contrast, a new Illinois law would block state funding for public libraries that do ban or restrict books. Taxes and wages. More than 20 states raised minimum wages for workers, further widening the gap between state requirements and the federal minimum, which has been stuck at $7.25 an hour since 2009. Maryland's minimum wage is set at $15 an hour. In New Jersey, the rate is $15.13 an hour for most employees. Connecticut $15.69 per hour. New York City $16 an hour, though it will be $15 in most of the rest of the state. California's statewide minimum wage increases to $16 per hour, and in Washington, $16.28. Uh, Residents in some states will gain money by paying less in taxes, continuing a three-year trend in which nearly every state has reduced, uh, rebated, or suspended some type of broad-based tax. In Kansas, the sales tax on groceries drops from 4% to 2% in its next step toward eventual elimination. About 1 million tax filers are expected to benefit from Connecticut's first income tax rate reduction since the mid-90s. Missouri reduced its income tax rate while expanding tax exemptions for Social Security benefits and military training pay. And Alabama will exempt overtime pay from the state's income tax, though that lasts only until June 2025 unless it is renewed by lawmakers. And we're a little over the halfway point of this reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for Friday, June 5th, 2024. You're listening to Iris, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the blind and print handicapped. All material heard on Iris is intended for folks with uh, print disabilities. You can hear this and um, all of our lo- many of our local programs as podcasts anytime on our website, iowaradioreading.org. Our next story, new funding aims to help rare whales. This is Dateline Portland, Maine. Scientists and officials in New England hope to collect better data about a vanishing whale species, improve fishing gear to avoid harming the animals, and make other changes as Maine and Massachusetts receive more than $27 million in public funding. The money is intended to aid the North Atlantic right whale, which is jeopardized by entanglement in commercial fishing gear and collisions with large ships. The population of the giant whales fell by about 25% from 2010 to 2020, and now numbers are less than 360. The largest chunk of the money is. $17.2 $17.2 million that the Maine Department of Marine Resources has received from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration that will improve data collection about the whales, officials said Tuesday. The money will allow Maine to expand its right whale research and improve the assessment of risk to the whales posed by lobster fishing, which is a key industry in the state, said Maine officials. The goal of this research is to collect data that tells us what is happening in the Gulf of Maine so we can be protective of whales in a way that doesn't devastate Maine's critically important lobster industry, said Patrick Kelleher, Commissioner of the Maine Department of Marine Resources. The Marine Resources Department has also received two grants totaling a little more than $5 million dollars, From the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. The department said those grants will help with research into alternatives to traditional lobster trap and buoy fishing uh, to try to reduce the risk of injury to the whales. The Massachusetts Department of Fish and Games Division of Marine Fisheries has received more than 4.6 million dollars from a congressionally appropriated amount of money through the Regulatory Atlantic State's Marine Fisheries Commission, which manages East Coast fisheries. The division said it would use the money for development of new fishing gear technology, as well as to increase research and monitoring and provide gear to participants in the lobster industry. Quote, We have a special responsibility to help these endangered animals and to promote innovative measures to support whale recovery and Massachusetts' important lobster industry." That quote from Rebecca Tepper, the Massachusetts Energy and Environmental Affairs Secretary. The right whale's decline in recent years has prompted new proposed rules on commercial fishing and shipping. The NOAA is expected to release its final updated ship speed rule this year. The federal government might also soon attempt to craft new protective fishing rules. In the wake of a court decision last year. Her next story from crime, a sick attempt to terrorize wave of swatting calls may prompt heavier penalties. This is from the Associated Press. A spate of false reports of shootings at the homes of public officials in recent days could be setting the stage for stricter penalties against so-called swatting in most states, many states. U.S. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu, Georgia U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost have been among the victims. Several Georgia lawmakers targeted say they want increased penalties for swatting, like laws enacted in Ohio and Virginia. Similar bills are pending in other states and Congress. Here's a look at the issue and what can be done about it. What is swatting? Swatting is the act of making a prank call to emergency services to prompt a response at a particular address. The goal is to get authorities, particularly a SWAT team, to show up. Calls in multiple states in recent days featured the voice of a man calling himself Jamal, claiming that he had shot his wife because she was sleeping with another man and saying that he was holding the boyfriend hostage, demanding ten thousand Two reports. Ohio lawmakers said they thought they were targeted recently for helping pass a law making swatting a felony in the state. Georgia State Senator Clint Dixon said the incident at his house in Buford on Christmas evening was quite startling for himself, his wife, and his three children. I was watching a little football, and my wife was upstairs packing for a trip. All of a sudden, I heard her, you know, start yelling, there's police running at the door. She saw it on our ring doorbell. Who's been targeted? A man in New York called the Georgia suicide hotline just before 11 a.m. December 25th, claiming that he shot his girlfriend at Marjorie Taylor Greene's home in Rome, Georgia, and was going to kill himself next, said Kelly Madden, the Rome police spokesperson. The call was transferred to police when hotline responders recognized the congresswoman's address. The department said it contacted Green's private security detail to confirm that she was safe and that there was no emergency. The response was canceled while police were on the way. Green has been the subject of multiple swatting attempts. Scott wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter, that police were sent to his home in Naples, Florida, while he and his wife were out on December 27th. They were out at dinner. Police say uh, they met Scott's private security service at the home but did not find anything out of place. These criminals wasted the time and resources of our law enforcement in a sick attempt to terrorize my family, Rick Scott said. In Boston, a male caller claimed on Christmas that he shot his wife and tied up her and another man at Woo's home. Uh, the Democratic mayor said she was surprised to open the door and see the flashing lights, but said that her home had been targeted by multiple swatting calls since she took office in twenty twenty one. For better or for worse, my family are a bit used to it by now, and we have a good system with the department. A Republican congressman from New York, Georgia Lieutenant Governor Bert Jones, and a former state senator in Nebraska have also been targeted. Dixon was among four Georgia state senators who were recently swatted. In Ohio, a total of three current or former state lawmakers were affected. Jones said his home, in a small town south of Atlanta, was swatted on December 27, and a bomb threat was called in the next day. Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows' home was swatted December 29, a day after she removed former President Donald Trump from the state's presidential primary ballot under the Constitution's insurrection clause. How widespread is the problem? Hundreds of cases of swatting occur annually, with some using caller ID spoofing to disguise their number, and those targeted extend far beyond public officials. Police in Lincoln, Nebraska, said that they handled three swatting calls in the same 48-hour period in which they went to the unoccupied home of former State Senator Adam Moorfeld. The FBI said it created a national database with other law enforcement agencies to track down swatting incidents nationwide. Police had for months reported a huge surge in fake claims about active shooters at schools and colleges. There have also been reports of hundreds of swatting incidents and bomb threats against synagogues and other Jewish institutions since the Israel-Hamas war began on October 7th, The Anti-Defamation League estimates that by 2019, there were more than a thousand swatting incidents nationwide each year. Are there other risks? Such calls have proven dangerous and even outright deadly. In 2017, a police officer in Wichita, Kansas, shot and killed Andrew Finch age 28, while responding to a hoax emergency call. The city agreed to pay $5 million to settle a related lawsuit with the money to go to Finch's two children. In 2015, police in Maryland shot a 20-year-old man in the face with rubber bullets after a fake hostage situation was reported at his home. Authorities say they also worry about diverting resources from real emergencies. What kind of response could this prompt? Ohio recently made it a felony offense to report a false emergency that prompts response by law enforcement. Virginia increased the penalties for swatting to up to 12 months in jail. Dixon, the Georgia state senator, said in a statement that he planned to introduce a bill during the upcoming legislative session to strengthen penalties for false reporting and misuse of police forces. Quote, This issue goes beyond politics. It's about public safety and preserving the integrity of our institutions, he said. Our next story, Down to Box, Philadelphia Gym Makes Difference uh, with Program for People with Developmental Delays. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. It takes nearly the complete route of two SEPTA buses, to get from West Philly's Overbrook section to the Torresdell Avenue in Tacone. According to schedules, the trip takes no less than one hour thirty six minutes one way. Cost about nine bucks a trip, round trip, two hundred fifty plus an extra two dollars to transfer one way. It's a ride that Overbrook native Marjorie Anderson knows all too well. It's a route she took every Wednesday for nearly two months this summer after her car finally gave out. The trip wasn't even for herself. It was to escort her daughter Phoenix to a one-hour boxing class each week inside the Jack Costello boxing gym, situated in what was previously a bank along a busy stretch of Torres Avenue. For the latter part of three months, Phoenix took part in a Down to Box program. That's a program that empowers individuals with Down syndrome to use boxing as a vessel to work on their condition, mental focus, and physical fitness. The program, founded in Wilmington, Delaware, distributes its curriculum to interested boxing gyms. In Philadelphia, Costello's is the only gym to take part. Typically, people with Down syndrome, also referred to as Trisomy 21, have issues with muscle tone, hand-eye coordination, and balance. It's believed the sweet science... It's believed the sweet science that is boxing can help with all of that. For Phoenix, a nonverbal teen with trisomy 21, hitting the bags and getting in the ring was not only good exercise, but also served as developmental therapy. Anderson could have easily used her car as an excuse to forego the weekly trek. She will readily say that the thought was never in question. It's a good thing for Phoenix, even if that wasn't the case in the beginning. Honestly, the thought of her boxing was kind of scary, Anderson said. But because it was targeted toward people with Down syndrome, that's why we decided to check it out. When we first came here, I remember looking at Phoenix and I could see she was like, what is going on? But the instructors take a lot of interest in the people in the program. She was barely two weeks into the program when Anderson noticed a difference in Phoenix. She's listening, and she's looking at people. Every time the instructor speaks, she's listening. She's taking it all in. This has been so awesome for her, so awesome for her focus. On a muggy Wednesday night inside Costello's gym, five trainers pay close attention to a room of six students, all with Down syndrome, ranging in levels of significance. The class is conducted under the watchful eye of Brian Costello, one of the owners of the gym that was founded by his grandfather, John Jack Costello. While this is the first year of having down-to-box as part of the classes that they offer, Costello's always had a hand in teaching the sport to anyone interested. The gym, situated in a tight-knit neighborhood, has always served as a beacon to keep as many youths as possible off the streets. Costello's is almost entirely philanthropically funded, mainly by the good graces of several local trades throughout Philly. The give back from Costello's gym is an annual union fight night where they train, prepare, and promote tradesmen versus tradesmen bouts pro bono. But that reciprocity, as Costello explains, has allowed it to also serve the community at large with a host of programs targeted to youth and now those with developmental delays. Quote, We've had a lot of interest over the years of parents coming in and saying, I have a son or a daughter who has autism, but they're not good with crowds. Is there something you guys offer? Costello said. We've always had a demand for this, even before we got involved with Down to Box. We've been coming in here for years during our off hours to do stuff with kids individually. We were doing our best. We knew boxing, but... We really didn't have experience working with special needs people and that's why it was so great to link up with down to box what they do supports what we do Vaughn is a big guy down syndrome also makes him nonverbal reacting only with noises and knots but he's in the gym squaring up on a heavy bag held by his trainer Joey the tank if the tanks name sounds familiar is because he's considered one of the top 100 heavyweights in the world with a 27 10 4 record with 15 knockouts. This night, however, he's just Joey from the neighborhood giving positive feedback to Vaughn's attempts inside the gym that give him everything. It makes me feel good doing this, he said. It's not just this program, but this gym has been so many things to so many different people, you know. We all have our struggles. But then you come into the gym, and you see these guys doing this with a smile on their face, and it makes you appreciate life. Everyone in the gym has a story. Ask him, and Costello will tell you about his run-ins with the law and how boxing saved him. Colette, the only woman trainer in the gym, working side-by-side with Phoenix, said boxing as a former professional-turned-coach saved her from a rough life and bouts of addiction. But her soft spot for Phoenix? Colette's brother is on the autism spectrum and is also nonverbal. I'm the trainer, but they've taught me a lot, Colette said. It's been fulfilling working with Phoenix, especially because I've been working with her and we've developed so much trust. She'll come in and gets excited when she sees me and grabs my arm when she wants me to show her something. But it's not even working with these guys. Every time I come in here, I'm working with a kid that would rather be here than acting up in the streets. I don't know, I just feel like I have a responsibility to them, she said. And Anderson can sense it, not just through Colette's work with her daughter, but in the mission that has kept Costello's Gym a neighborhood staple in some form for decades. Today, its form takes shape inside that old bank along Torresdell Avenue, stop, steps from a stop for the SEPTA bus number 84. People might think boxing for people with downs is weird and it might sound weird, but it works. Anderson said, I've seen such a change in my daughter since she started coming here. And I have this place to thank for that. It's why we keep coming here. And as long as they have it, we will be here. And then there are two photos. One shows a uh, little Phoenix. Um, she's wearing boxing gloves and uh, a helmet in front of, uh, in front of a punching bag, and the instructor's there working on her stance. And then another photo shows another student named Angela, who's just working the speed bag um, with intense intense concentration. And again, there's essentially nothing of local news or sports, but we'll kick off the front page of the sports section, College Men's Basketball Top 25 Recap. Number 19, JMU stays undefeated. Noah Friedel Friedel, hit two three-pointers in the final two minutes. Terrence Edwards led all scorers with 19 points, and T.J. Bickerstaff had 14 points and 11 rebounds, as number 19, James Madison, remained undefeated with a 68-61 win over Louisiana on Thursday night. The Dukes went on a 14-0 run midway through the second half to open a 49-40 lead and snap the Cajuns' 19-game home winning streak. Bickerstaff scored nine of his points during that run. James Madison opened the game on one of 12 shooting, but the Cajuns never led by more than eight points. The Cajuns had four in double figures, led by Contrell Garnett with 17 points. Kobe Julian added 15 points, and Katinje Hosanna had 11. Famous Folks, who averaged 11.6 points per game coming into Thursday, finished with 8 points on 4 of 14 shooting. Joe Charles had a game-high 15 rebounds. After an early 3-2 lead, the Dukes were behind in the game until 11.54 to play. With the Dukes up 58-57, Friedel, who finished the game with 11 points, hit three pointers on back-to-back possessions to open up a seven-point lead. James Madison outrebounded the Cajuns, 46 to 31. Number 10 Arizona, 97; Colorado, 50. Kylan Boswell scored 14 points and made an incredible pass that bounced twice. Pell Larson had 18 and Arizona steamrolled shorthanded Colorado in Tucson. Coming off a lackadaisical loss to Stanford, the Wildcats jumped on Colorado early, building a 20-point lead midway through the first half. Arizona dominated at both ends, shutting down the Buffaloes while pouring in shots about two hours after actor Adam Sandler played a pickup game on their home court. Boswell had the highlight of dominating Highlight of a dominating first half, curving a low pass with his left hand—he's right-handed—that bounced twice and hit Larson in stride for a breakaway layup. Arizona improved to thirteen and zero against Colorado at McHale Center, and is fourteen and zero under coach Tommy Lloyd, following a loss, winning by an average of more than twenty points. Number fifteen Memphis, or er, yes, number fifteen Memphis seventy-eight, Tulsa seventy-five. Javon Quinnerly made a three-pointer with 3.5 seconds left, and Memphis survived a late flurry from Tulsa's Kobe Williams to beat the Golden Hurricane on the road. David Johns, or Jones rather, scored 17 points for Memphis, which led 75-70 in the final minute, before Williams scored five points in a three-second span. And that's all the time we have for today's reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for Friday, January 5th, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind and print handicapped. All material heard here on IRIS is intended solely for the use of folks with a print disability. Have a wonderful weekend and thanks for listening to IRIS.